Heralds of Tiamat. The hunt for solace. Encroached in a battle between Frosty, what's left of the dragon cultists, and Solace himself, the Farron Fixers are attempting to, to recapture Leosin. They have the numbers, and they seem to have the edge, as Atrophase seems to be adept at putting down dragons. However, the Bronze Fume, a much more powerful creature, has joined the fray and has started assaulting parts of the Temple of the Crushing Wave that they are in, while Solace the person who's carrying what's left of Leosin is attempting to escape. Where to, they only find out through a conversation that was overheard between the Bronze Fume and Solace, who is attempting to escape. Solace tells the Bronze Fume that he will give Aqua and Frosty's hordes to him as tribute for trying to kill these adventurers while he escapes to the cube. Whatever that may be, Solace seems to be in the wind and the rest of the Farron Fixers need to either catch him or lose him. Half, half of them decide to stick around and fight, while the other half give chase, finding different ways to cut him off and realizing that Solace is going to be using that secret door that they couldn't open earlier. Upon, upon the battle ensuing and Frosty's inevitable defeat, Bron the Bronze Fume is furious and attempting to kill the Farron Fixers, while the rest are racing through the, the hidden passageway underwater to the pathway that Solace was taking. Upon entering with the terror bird, Vistari sees that Solace closes the door, the bolt lock door that they couldn't open before. However, Bex, noticing that one of the switches inside the altar room changed, decides to flip it back. Solace realizing that his bolt, bolt hole wasn't going to necessarily get him away, decides to flee. Being grappled and slowed down, the other half of the party is attempting to stop Solace from escaping, and they're having a hard time of it. Solace is a dragon soul, the highest echelon of the order, and is quite dangerous in and of himself. But he is in the retreat, and he is not interested in attempting to fight them. He is interested in carrying out his master's orders and take Leosin as far away from here as possible, and possibly to the cube, whatever that is. While the rest of the party is dealing with the bronze fume and attempting to escape themselves, they run into a strange cultist who seems to be following them, who keeps uh, screaming this weird noise. Yeet! Yeet! They ignore him because he doesn't seem to be fighting them, but he does act weird. Upon following Solace down deep into the bowels of the Temple of the Crushing Waves, the Farron Fixer's first half Motsu, Valis, Shion, and Vistari enter what seems to be a cold, deep cavern underground. They're pretty confident they have found the adult ice dr white dragon's lair. This does not bode well if this creature lairs here or if it returns to it. Saul seems to be trying to find any way to escape from them, even hiding behind more powerful creatures. While that's happening, the Bronze Fume is hunting the rest of the party throughout the temple, and they are trying to escape. With a little bit of help from Yeet, it seems that they might be able to get out of it. However, the Bronze Fume is still furious, and pinning them down in several areas. While the rest of the party manages to slow Solace down, he cracks this small gem, and something clicks and clanks. Whatever it is, who knows? We just know that he thinks he's going to be retrieved. Last time 
on Heralds of Tiamat, the Retriever. The Faroon fixers were separated, some above in the Temple of the Crushing Waves, some below in Van Galderan's lair. The white dragon was absent at the time, but his cold, dank lair was quite dangerous, filled with monsters and constructs that the Faroon fixers have yet to see. One such creature was called by Solace, the last member of the cult who was occupying the Temple of the Crushing Waves. His attempt to escape with the Leosin remains was foiled by Xion. Xion managing to grip and take the, the bag away and Valis managing to kill Solus in the moment. They escaped back towards the entrance of the lair. While Motsu and Vistari d- decided and quite possibly fretted over whether or not they wanted to take Solus's remains. But that's when they saw it. A creature of metallic, sleek build on appendages like a spider. Large in size and quite dangerous to look at. Its eyes glowing with an inner heat, but no steam. The Retriever was here. The creature picked up Solace and began to travel off. Motsu conflicted, decided to leave the creature as it was. It looked like it was too strong for him to deal with. And, in, and since he did not take Solace's remains, he was worried that it would chase after them. Escaping back up to the top and meeting up with Bex, Corellia, and Atrophe, they told them what happened. While this was going on, Corellia and, and Anelli and Atrophe decided to wait up top for the party to come back. Bex, on the other hand, was in a conversation with a strange cultist named Yeet. Yeet is a particular character and quite possibly might be stranger than most people realize. As he convinced Bex to follow him and provide uh, some support in his endeavors, Yeet brought Bex to what was Frosty's horde, roughly 50,000 gold pieces laying on the ground as they attempted to figure out how they were going to carry it, Bex decided to use heat metal to carve it out of the ice that the coins were, sto- were, were frozen to. They managed to pull out 35,000 gold before the bronze fume decided to return and take the rest of Frosty's horde for himself. Escaping into the room in some conflict with the party, Yeet was finally begrudgingly accepted to be someone that they needed to help escape before Van Galderan arrives. As they traveled deeper into the location and decided to take a look around, Yeet made it very clear that this place is dangerous, that the lair of Van Galderan was made specifically and quite particularly in favor of Arthater. Arthater being one of... One of Nair's favored, and Van Galderen being Arthater's favored, meant that he had some powerful trinkets that were quite dangerous. Yeet made it clear that his horde is in the lair, but it'd be quite difficult to get as he has constructs guarding it. The party decided not to press their luck and move forward into the lair to hopefully find the escape that Yeet promised. 
doing some interesting acrobatics and solving some small puzzles and witnessing a horrific sight of the cadaver collector, they managed to reach a, cre- a crevasse where they saw the retriever. It seems that the creature had delivered solace somewhere that they did not know of and was sleeping inside a ravine. The ravine was the only way to cross back to where Yi was going, so they were trying to figure out a way to get across. Corellia deftly created a rope bridge where the party was able to easily slackline across and get safely to the other side without waking the creature. Reaching the, the space that Yi told them about, he explained the plan. There is a creature called Chardar. Chardar is a construct, a dragon made to guard a very important magic circle here in Valgadran's lair. The party had to dress up as cultists in order to convince him that with the key, Leosin's remains, that they needed to be transported places. Chardar is a construct, so he is not too inquisitive about what's going on, and he's usually sleeping until asked to move people back and forth. Corellia, with the best type of persuasion, decided to take this and be simple and direct of Chardar. Being able to successfully communicate with the, the massive mechanical dragon, they were teleported back to the top of the shrine, where they witnessed Van Galderan appearing. Landing at the edge of the shrine and not noticing the Farron Fixers, they were quite worried what Atrophy would do. And with sure enough, like clockwork, Atrophy began to, to approach Van Galderan in conflict. The party managed to hold her back and convince her and calm her down before Van Galderan escaped down below into Temple of Crushing Waves, seemingly likely to find out what was going on. As they traveled to this location and realized that at the beginning of the dungeon there was these hands that were holding up for two spheres, Leosin's spheres. As they put, put the remains of Leosin in the hands, a, a door opened. It seemed to lead to a very strange place beneath the Temple of the Crushing Waves, a, a small fixture below that seemed to be housing interesting items, something particular for Yeet that he wanted, and he said something for the party that they've yet to understand or explore. As they left, as they left, Yeet plunged this interesting artifact into the, the statue and was transported back to Chardar. Chardar then asked where they wanted to go next, and Corellia took them to the prison cube. The location where they were planning on going after this crazy idea of saving Leosin's remains. And now they're in the thick of it. Arriving at the, pri- arriving at the prison cube, seemingly in a place where it has been shortly abandoned, the party decides to try to take a long rest. The Farron Fixers taking up their watches and finding out various things. One, that Solace is likely going to be revived. Two, that this place is run by kobolds. And three, there is something called the Dragon Rot that controls the prison cube. What will happen next time on Heralds of Tiamat, the cube. Heralds of Tiamat. The Ancient Iron Cube. Last time we left the Farron Fixers, they managed to complete a long rest. Understanding that the Ancient Iron Cube is a quite dangerous place, 
and with their new friend Yeet's information, knowing that the place is quite well guarded. Cobalt seemed to fill the ranks of every hall. The building seemed to be completely constructed of strange metal materials that look rusted and faded away, but upon closer inspection are quite magical in nature. Upon exploring the halls and keeping low into the shadows, they decided to take out two cobalt spell clerks guarding a chest. Discovering that the chest is trapped, Corelli attempts to remove the trap. After successfully removing it, opening the chest, realizing the chest itself was the trap. Corellia's deft hands and sleight of hand manages to remove the second trap. Breathing in and taking a second to realize that they narrowly alerted all the cobalts in the area, they decided to take less risks as they traveled through the rest of the prison. Exploring around and hearing some chatter, they realize that Solace, that high... ...member of the Dragon Cult of Tiamat, a dragon soul, was brought here by the Retriever. This is very important information, as it is likely they are planning on bringing him back, and he has intel on the Farron Fixers. Hoping that their attack on the cube goes without a hitch, they decide to move quickly and follow a couple kobolds up into a barracks area. As the kobolds are traveling, they run into another set of kobolds that seem to be... uh, bit more dangerous than the other ones. Covered in junk and armor, they seem to have magical or mystical strength as they can animate the objects to attack things. The other kobolds seem to be fearful of this and leave them alone. Not being seen and maintaining a stealth, thanks to Vishdari's pacified trace, they follow the spellcasting sorcerer kobolds up into another level of the prison. Taking a quick look around and some keen insights, they realize that this place is built a little bit more differently than they expected. Instead of it being a, a building that raises and levels, it seems to have dead ends and cutoffs. It's more like a maze. This area, this level, seems to be entirely dedicated to barracks. It's unlikely that the prisoners would be held here. As they decide to double back and check where those other kobolds are guarding, they get into a conflict, managing to surprise them and kill most of them. Only one of them survives, but it manages to animate its junk and weapons and knives. As it does, the Farron Fixtures realize that these creatures are feared for a reason, as this animate object seems to be completely independent of the cobalt. As it is slain, it attacks and rips into many of the party members, managing to destroy it with some quick shatters, keep it from totally decimating the party. Taking a second to breathe and figure out where they're going, they decide to check out the chest that has some flying potions. Doling those out and coming to some quick understandings, they believe that the hole they saw earlier in one of the caverns might have the direction they're traveling in. It's clever to make what seems like a infrastructure flaw into a way to pass through the actual building itself. Will the Farron Fixtures be able to find their prisoner? Find out next time on 
on Harold's of Tiamat's prisoner. Harold's of Tiamat, the prisoner. Last we left the Farron Fixers, they were debating amongst themselves how to move forward and through the ancient Iron Cube. Asking their friend, new friend Yeet on how to do it, he uh, brings a starting revelation. The prisoner is just a prisoner. There isn't multiple prisoners or a group of people in here, but the ancient Iron Cube is built to hold one individual. A very powerful individual. The Archmage of Waterdeep, Blackstaff Lara. Knowing this information, the party, the Farron Fixers, are very conflicted. They have to understand that their missions no longer align. Yi is here to save the same person that they're here to convince to give their soul to an Archdevil. If they renege on that, then it is likely that Tarum as well as the Archdevil himself will be displeased with them and it will be much more difficult to work with the Undercity that lies just under Waterdeep. It could even have some backlash implications. But they do not want to help the Zentarum even though they know it would have bad bad fallout for them. So they tell Yeet that even though their, their conflicts are apparent, they will decide to work with him and save the Blackstaff Mage, the Archmage of Waterdeep, from the Ancient Iron Cube without getting her to use the third pact that the Archdevil Alistair has asked them to do. However, this means that their mission to get the Scratching Pole might have to be put on hold indefinitely. Putting that aside and some other things on the back burner, they finally manage a marching order and travel up through the shaft, managing to narrowly dodge some of those junk kobolds' views and flying up through the shaft leading up. The shaft is large and wide, and it seems to go on endlessly into the darkness until some strange lights and pools after 300 feet seem to appear, multiples of them hovering in the distance in different places. Some of the party does recognize them as they are lost in the darkness and the vastness, and Bex in particular ends up passing through one, completely being doused in painful magical acid. Bishtari has seen these pools before and knows that they are called magical mineral pools. They are used for making magical tinkering equipment and weapons and armor. They are also used to repair magical things. And there is a lot of them here. They are quite expensive as she has seen people try to take take from them and lose weapons and armor to do so. Valis, being incredibly interested in that, attempts to collect some of the more expensive one, a violet mineral pool. Manages to do it quite deftly with some support from his allies, getting at least eight ounces of it. Not quite satisfied, he attempts to also take a flask of the large blue pool that they have to pass through anyway. Knowing that the party could make noise and open the pool a safe way, they decide to take this more stealthier route by going through the pool and taking the acid damage. Passing through and not screaming or yelling, they manage to make it all the way through into the next room. 
Taking a look around and passing through, they realize this is a sleeping quarters, but Motsu also can hear machine work being done. It is likely a workshop slash sleeping quarters for those who are more of the arcane and tinkering aligned. As we saw before and below, there seem to be a lot more military-esque creatures down there. This room seems to be more for those who are of the more intelligent type of kobolds. Exploring the rooms and finding some interesting things, they managed to avoid some dangerous kobolds that seem to be rigged to explode and find a room that seems to have a sequence of books that are uh, placed to likely guard very important information. Some of the books are, all the books are encrypted, but some of them, even after being decrypted, are clearly dummy books for people to take. So, that being said, the Fair and fiction have to make a decision. Do they want to spend a lot of time trying to figure out the sequence? Or do they just want to guess, grab what they can, and go? They decide to go with a guess because they don't know how long Passive Out Trace is going to last on them and their flights could still be useful. They grab one book that manages to seem to be interesting a short history of schematics and whereabouts of skyships. As they continue down the pathway and managing to get to all the way to the end, they see what they saw before. A massive war machine. The war machine itself breathes fire, and as it does, Bex has a terribly interesting idea. They decide to throw the luminite that they found that is charged with heat into the fire to make it look like the fire exploded much farther than it was, damaging and killing the kobolds there. It works. The succeeded sleight of hand manages to kill half the kobolds there, and they go enraged at the tinkerer who who was just playing with the fire. The tinkerer, completely confused at the at the sudden burst of fire, is attempting to calm them down. But the explosion and the dying kobolds tend to drag other people to it. This is where a strange kobold steps out, shaped like like one of them, lithe and thin with a tail, but with much larger wingspan than normal. This cobalt walks out, and immediately, one of the one of the fanfictions re- recognizes it as a very rare type of cobalt, a dragon rot cobalt. Dragon rot cobalts are very specifically cobalts that represent a dragon type or kind. They are very rare, and they are very difficult to deal with, as they are stronger, bigger and tougher than kobolds in general. They would be closer to dragonborn in truth, but they have the co- their kobold nature as they are inclined to hoard things like dragons, and they also have a dragon sire. It is said that they are even birthed from dragons and are just defective true dragons. Upon seeing this creature come out and give out orders, mesmerized by its abilities and spellcasting, they, uh, Managed to avoid notice from it, and as it turns back, they realize another cobalt was also watching and did not see the party until that last moment. They jump this cobalt, killing him pretty much instantly and taking a couple of his items, stuffing him under his bed and trying to travel back down the pathway and escape to the level above. As they do, they see the dragon rock cobalt talking to Solace, who is clearly alive and well. They don't hear the conversation, but they do see him making something for Solace. He made a dragon orb for him. It is clear that the creature is quite powerful, and if it can make a magical item like that, it is more dangerous than they thought. Avoiding its notice and managing to go to the stairwell, they see some strange kobolds that run out and consume the bodies of the kobolds that recently were burnt and dead. 
It was a terrifying visage to see, but they managed to, to scoop by, escaping all the way up to the top of the ancient iron cube. Upon arriving at the top, they reach a gray room that seems to barely fit all of them. As they check one of the doors and open it, they open in another small room opens to a hallway to another set of doors. No traps, just locks. And as they open that one, this room is assaulted them with the smell of rot and what smells like some type of pheromone in the air. Hundreds of thousands of rock grubs in the ground seem to be just writhing. And upon closer inspection, something is swimming in it and eating them party horrified by this wants to turn back and try to see if the other way is safer but they know that they have to ch- they're going to have to pick one way even if it isn't safe to find the prisoner we'll find out what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat the prison's defenses Heralds of Tiamat, the prison's defenses. The Farron Fixers last left off trying to take a rest at the top of the ancient prison cube. As they did some exploring, they figured that the safest route was the route with mannequins. The lock seemed to be easy for their partner, Corellia, to pick, so they made use of that. However, that soon came to be a problem, as when Motu, Vallis, and Bex decided to take uh, the mannequin puzzle seriously, they were closed off. The door separating from them seemed to cut out all sound and communication. As they attempted to speak with them, they, they came to a conclusion, the other half of the party, that they have to find another way around. Running on across to the side with the grubs and making it their way down and across, flying and avoiding the large bone spitter inside the rock grubs, they made it back down to a large hallway that had three doors, one of which was hidden, that Vishtari found. They seemed to need some strange sigil, a panel, a medallion of sorts, to open them. This was difficult because they didn't have anything of the sort. As they took a look around, they realized that one of the doors was just mundanely locked. When they ch- when they checked that door and opened it, it opened a strange puzzle room that seemed to have tiles on the ground. The puzzle said that they couldn't step on anything magic. They began thinking through it. Meanwhile, the Motsu, Bex, and Valis group were desperately trying to put these dragon board together in a certain order. What order? They didn't quite know. They had a poem to go off of and didn't quite figure out how it was supposed to work. As they attempted and set up four of the five in the order that they believed would work, they realized that they were wrong. As the rest of the mannequins began to shape and form into a golem of dragonborn, this creature was terrifying in visage and seemed to be powered through their incorrect formation of the, of the 
dragonborn mannequins. Desperate to fight it, they realized that they would be overpowered easily without the rest of the party. Deciding instead to flee, they took their chance to look around at the other doors. Realizing they needed some strange medallion to get out, they took a look around. The medallion was in the, the dragonborn golem's head. Removing that and briefly escaping into a room with a strange golden object and a purple orb in the center, they barely survived their encounter with the golem. Meanwhile, Vistara's group with Corellia, Shion, and Anelli, they were attempting to solve the puzzle, and they did it quite easily. Walked across all the panels that were types of magic, not the word magic. Realizing that flying wouldn't be a good idea, they made it all the way to the other end, and they found a medallion hanging over what seemed to be a pool of acid. Grabbing the medallion and realizing it is Tiamat in origin, they decided to head back. Before going in through the door in the middle, they decided to go to the door on the left, realizing that it was just mundanely locked. As they unlocked it, they noticed that it led to a part of the room where the rock grubs were, likely the space where the bone spitter sleeps, and it seems that the bone spitter sleeps just under a medallion. This proved to be dangerous. This means that they had to swim through the rock grubs, grab the medallion, and get out before the bone spitter got to them. Making a quick decision, Nelly decided to distract the bone spitter, while Shion, who was decent at swimming, decided to rush in and grab the medallion. As they did, as they did, it managed to pull it off with minimal damage to Nelly and Shion, taking a pool of acid all over their body from the alchemy jug got the second medallion. Meanwhile, the rest of the party, both to Valis and Bex, were discussing whether or not they were going to go to the next room. Deciding not to go against it and better than being trapped in this one, they used their medallion, which only opens doors and has to be removed in order to close the doors, to get to the next room. The room next to them opened up to a pit, a deep, dark one that seemed to go forever down or go nowhere at all. As they headed out, they noticed on the other side that Vishtari, Shion, and Corellia all were coming out of the door on the opposite side of the room. They apparently had just walked into a room where dead, where dead bone spitters were being used for their acid and being leached out. Vistari decides to take a chance to use the book to take one of the worms into the book and learn more about it. As they went to the next room pretty immediately, they then saw their other party members. Happy to meet them and glad and doing congratulations and communications, they hardly noticed that the room was filling with ball bearings. These ball bearings started to shape and form into golems that seemed to do dangerous things. They've all fled into the room with the golden object and purple orb, and as they were in there, they managed to discover that this seems to be the, the prison's essentially lock for their prisoner that they've yet to find. Deciding to try to get back to their original medallions that they left in the other rooms, they headed out. Shion and Corellia making it to the other side quite easily without being harassed, but on the way back, the ball bearings were waiting for them. As they did, it took a whole two rounds for them to get back into the room, and many people were hit by the scattered shots of the ball bearings, and they tried to fill the room up with the ball bearings to kill the rest of the party. They managed to sweep them all out and get out just ahead of it. No, not knowing what else to do, they decided to take their chances with the dragonborn, the dragonborn golem, then take their chances with the ball bearings. 
rushing into the room and seeing that the creature was yet to arrive. As it was slowly forming up, they opened the door, realizing that the next door also needed a medallion, requiring all three all three of their medallions at the time, well, three minus of one, which is four, they managed to open the three doors and continue moving on with the minimum damage from the golem. Leaving it behind and traveling to a room that has some strange letters on the ground and another puzzle, the party together decides to take a long rest, hoping that they can finish the rest of the prison's defenses in time and finally meet this black staff. Heralds of Tiamat Black Staff The Farron Fixers, after taking their long rest, have decided to do a bold move, trying to solve the final puzzle, the ball bearings in the Black Pits. Upon coming with a very complex plan, Motsu orchestrated, the party began their mission. Motsu and another party member ran across the room, causing the creatures to come out as they are normally able to. However, they closed the door behind them, hoping that they would mellow out. However, they did know that leaving the other door open kept them open. The creatures started to spawn in exorbitant rate, so much so that even their party members with evasion had a hard time dodging the scattershot blasts. So many of them started to appear and arrive that it became clear to Corellia and Shion that they were indefinite, and that trying to wake them out, or to drag them all out, was impossible. Retreating into the room before and closing the door behind them and managing to sweep out the rest of them, they waited. While they waited, it, Valis, Motsu, and Anelli determined that there was time for them to try to go into the darkness. While they couldn't figure out why the darkness was perpetually producing these ball-bearing golems, they did decide that the best course of action was to dive in headfirst and see if this leap of faith pans out. As they jumped in, they fell into a cold, dark void. Having no idea where they were, they could not see, and they could hardly hear a thing. Searching and feeling the small buoyancy of the millions of ball bearings, some of the party comes to the conclusion that this is a pocket dimension, a place where something exists completely and constantly. There was no way for the ball bearing golems to be stopped because they would be produced infinitely from this location. And another conclusion came to their understanding. The medallion is likely trapped in here. But the only way to find it is to search through the millions of ball bearings. As they started filtering out and feeling through, Valis managed to find the medallion with some effort. However, he could not find his allies, Anelli or Motsu. He knew he could leave them behind, but he decided to stick it out and see if he can find them. Meanwhile, the rest of the party was waiting for a very long time. Hours passed. Not one, not two, but five hours. Causing them to worry that they were dead and that they were simply waiting on the other wall indefinitely for no one who will come. As 
as the weight of the time started to precede them, it seemed that Mishtari decided to take a risk to see if the Black Staff woman can help them in their current situation, using her mental powers to connect with her. She sent out a message to her. The message didn't seem to go through and backlashed into a painful, searing feeling in her mind, causing her to gain long-term madness and a permanent flaw. While this was happening, Bex seemed to go wild with, with fear, and as Vistari went mad and went after the egg inside the other room, Bex trapped themselves inside with the alien device. Meanwhile, Shion, wait, the weight of the waiting pressing them down, decided to go check on what was going on. Corellia, ma- maintaining her steadfast demeanor, held her back with communication that they could give them a little bit longer. While Valis was searching for Motsu and Ninelli, they managed to find each other and escape the black hole, thinking only minutes have passed for them, when in reality, hours have passed for the rest of the party. As they exited the room and came to see Shion and Corellia, they found out the truth of their fate. Long time has passed, and as they found Vistarian and Bex seeming to be a little bit more insane than before, they realized that this uh, puzzle has taken a toll on the party as a whole. Deciding to finally figure out what was going on with this device, with the golden dais, they put all six medallions inside, and it opens with a crack and smoke producing a cube of intricate design and infernal coloring. An infernal puzzle box, as he says it, is a device that is meant to hold a very powerful item or object. They are made specifically for particular objects and require very specific types of unlockings for it to work. Yeet says that each one is designed completely different from the other, so there is no way to unlock it without knowing the code. However... If you're intelligent enough, you can certainly try, which some of the party members did, and took the damage that the psychic precautions provided for one who would such try to solve the Infernal Puzzle Box. Deciding not to deal with it, and going back to Blackstaff, they tried to see if maybe she was the link to the solution to this puzzle box. Watching carefully, Corellia manages to puzzle out that... The Blackstaff's blood is required to open the box, which is a cruel joke of fate, because they cannot reach her. As they exerted longer, and spending almost 8 to 10 hours trying to figure out what was going on this entire time, they manage to see that inside, Blackstaff was creating the puzzle box with some minor illusions. With a hope that something will trigger they placed the infernal puzzle box against the edge of the mirror puzzle box inside the inside the prison. As it seeped through, it seemed to bond with with Blackstaff's blood, and released a small black piece of wood. This black piece of wood seemed to be strange, and as it was made very clear what it was, Yeet. Decided to take charge. He asked the party if they could sh- try to shake the device to make it touch Lara Blackstaff. Managing to make it work and push the things together, they created a moment where the light shined and a woman appeared. 
a previous Black Staff, Black Staff holder. As explained by Yeet, the Black Staff holds the sentience of all its previous wizard wizards, and this one, this piece, seemed to hold one in particular who was able to help them get out. And a flash of light and energy passed. They disappeared and arrived in a dark, dank cavern. As they did, they were a little confused, and so were the cultists who were around them. They they really immediately engaged in combat, but as they looked behind them, they noticed that the the egg that Valus has been holding onto since the Fae spiders gave it to him has increased again in size, which bodes to say that lots of time has passed. And as they come to the conclusion that this creature may need to be protected, and the cultists more worried about it than the party itself, they manage to defend it and kill most of the cultists, except for one that is flying in the air, seeming to be ready to escape. But before he can, the egg hatches. A large, beaked creature with massive legs and a thorax and wings that buzz like the sound of a hundred flies pierces through the egg and skewers the cultist, burning his body up in a necrotic sucking motion. The, the, the discarded corpse is thrown to the ground and the insect flies down. It is clearly a fiend to the party and is quite dangerous. Motsu on edge being held by the creature and Vistari entranced in, in by it due to her madness seem to be confused. The creature introduces itself as Nabless. In Abyssal, it is the one who comes before, or the one that stands above of all. It is clearly a chasmin, a very dangerous type of demon that is akin to a fly, but this one is much bigger than most and looks quite more dangerous. It is likely a leader of them, or at the very least, a demon that is far more powerful than most normal chasmin. As Nablus introduced himself, he explained to the party that it was clear that he was not here to harm them, and that, in fact, he was looking to create a contract between them. The contract would be simple, that he would show up when they can, when they summon him, and that he would do what he can to help them. In exchange, he'd be able to return back to the Abyss and have a link to Material Plane. Several of the party members decided to take up this offer and were granted the Great Ebony Fly figurine. Nabal says two more days of his current revival and will be sticking around with the party until then. He seems to be keen on helping them escape and reach their next destination. We'll see what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat, Roasts and Boasts.